It is interesting to note that when we look at Zen practice and the various traditions in which we find Zen nowadays here in America, it is interesting to see how these various flavors differ, but then also to clearly experience how much they are alike. And that always brings up the contemplation of what is it that we expect or what is it that we achieve by following a specific form. Of course, as you might imagine, the American understanding of freedom and the holding of individuality at the highest regard as one of the things to be treasured has also influenced how Zen, in particularly American ways, changed. I think it is fair to say that there are certain challenges that come with that very cherished ideal of individuality. So please uh, indulge me by allowing me to contemplate about this a little bit out loud tonight. One particular tradition here in America came out of the Zen tradition as it was practiced at the Rochester Zen Center around Philip Kaplow. And there was one person who left that tradition who was a teacher and who came up with a new center where all these formal elements that we had received from the countries and the cultures where the Zen practice came from, they were stripped, removed. No robes, no images of any kind no butsudan, no altar, even no specific schedule. The only thing, the only chore, so to speak, that everybody had to participate or to contribute to the group to was some kind of assignment of participation in preparing the meals or cleaning up after the meals. So a certain contribution to the life of the group was required. And the purity of the intent of a person to participate and to engage in this investigation is clearly tested in an environment like that. You have to be truly committed in order to go to the sitting, in order to make up your own schedule, to stay with it. If I had started in a tradition like that, I think 
it would have been very, very difficult for those of us who arrived at this practice from a very significant event in their lives, from having experienced great change, great suffering, great disappointment, great pain, all of that, there is a motivation there that goes beyond needing any of these formal aspects. But let's say I was a fairly young person when I started, barely 20. Yes, of course, I had my experience with loss and feelings of suffering. But for me, personally speaking, the form that I encountered in this Rinzai tradition that I joined in Vienna was very helpful to guide me along on this path. Had I started without that kind of formal support, I don't know what would have happened. But I can certainly imagine it would have been much, much more difficult. So this place I was speaking about is Springwater Center, Springwater Meditation Center in upstate New York, where a fellow European is recorded as the founder and as the first teacher, Tony Packer. We have some very good friends who spend a lot of time at Springwater Zen Center. For one of those friends, the formal Zen practice did not work out and was not helpful in the way that it helped me. One of the first things to take into consideration is that all these different flavors are there so that various kinds of human beings find a suitable way to practice. But let me come back to the difficulties that we encounter by looking at individuality as one of the most precious things we have. Freedom from being told what to do is often understood as freedom. In Buddhism, we talk about liberation. How does this go together with this very strict formal kind of setting of many Buddhist traditions? Some of these settings even could be called arcane. If you ever participated in a traditional, really authentic Tibetan practice, there's a lot of formality there. There are rituals, chants, mantras, offerings, purifications, all of that. In the Zen tradition, it's a little similar. Different traditions are more or less formal with offerings, with chanting, with purifications, but still it exists. So how could that be seen as a vehicle that supports our liberation? The answer to that question, of course, is how do we understand liberation? 
coming to this practice from an existential question, from an experience of having suffered, having experienced the loss of family or of partners, the loss of even what we would call Weltbild, of how we see the world, brings us in this practice to a point of questioning. Liberation of that what burdens us might be our first objective. Once I'm free of this, finally I will be able to move on. But this practice, of course, teaches us over time that the freedom we are really longing for is a freedom that goes beyond the freedom of an I am self, that goes beyond the freedom of an existence that is based on volition, an existence that is based upon desire, upon hope and fear. And no matter what the outward form of the practice is that we do, we can learn to recognize over time what the problem is, what appears as the problem at the time. Of course, it is ourselves. It is our identity. It is our small self, our I am self, that what wishes, that what desires, loathes, rejects, affirms. And by following the questioning of who is it who is experiencing this, who is it who is suffering? Who is it who is full of desire? And through the meditation that is based upon the observation at first and the deeper and deeper engagement with the breath, we have that experience, that place of nobody being there to experience, of being truly free. It is transformative. It changes how we see what the desires are. It changes how we see this individuality. The wonderful thing about it is that it is not what our two-dimensional mind deduces from reading passages that say, you have to kill yourself. You have to kill your ego. You have to completely die. Because one aspect that we learn over time is that every death is followed by a resurrection. One event passes, another one takes its place. By moving from our two-dimensional understanding to a more multi-dimensional understanding of simultaneity, where separation and unification disappear as an idea and where we have that being one and separate at the same time teaches us that ultimately that I am self also is a natural event. But unlike the fixated state to which we cling before we engage in a practice like this, 
it transforms into a dynamic, spontaneously occurring event that does not hold on, that does not fixate, but that learns over time to go with the flow, to work according to the activity of Dharma. And that, what we rejected before, becomes clear to us that, of course, it is ourselves. Formality helps with that. In the summer here, it seems informal, but it is only relative. We all sit upright. We follow our breath. We keep the silence while we are here together. We help each other by being that way, to engage in that contemplation, investigation, and ultimately in the activity of change. No judgment is necessary. We don't have to keep time. The timekeeper will keep time. We don't have to be afraid of being judged by others. And ultimately, if you think of formality and form, they have the same root. Form is emptiness, or form is shunyata, and shunyata is form. That's what it says in the Paramita Sutra, the Great Wisdom Sutra. And exploring that emptiness of selfhood is the core of all these practices. It is wonderful to have an I am self and to be able to let it go when it is no longer needed so that a new self, when it is arising, finds the space and time to manifest. In the practice, we extend ourselves to the experience of no self, of letting that self go, to make space for that which is without identity, without fears and hopes, thoughts, to return. And as we do that, we awaken to the richness of every moment that passes in whatever event as an I am self, without a self, or even without space and time. The longer we engage in the practice, the more we realize that ultimately the saying about Zen is as true as true can be. Before I started practicing Zen or studying Zen, mountains were mountains and rivers were rivers. While I was studying Zen, mountains were not mountains anymore and rivers were not rivers. Now, that I have studied Zen for a long time. Mountains are mountains, and rivers are rivers. Anyone who has spent time engaging in Zazen 
will be able to understand this in a multi-dimensional or non-dimensional way that goes beyond same and different. So please keep on. First of all, keep breathing. It's a good idea. Second of all, when you feel moved to it, sit down and continue your zazen practice. It is the most fascinating activity of engagement with life and death. Most fulfilling and, personally speaking, most precious.